We're wrapping up our series, Prodigal. Prodigal, who we are and who God is. And we have um, looked at this incredible and familiar story that is so well known. And uh, one of which is probably Jesus' most famous parables, if not the, the most famous. It's certainly one of. And so we've gone deep and we've... we've uh, gathered quite a bit of of truth treasure, I think, and I hope that God has used this series to draw your attention to some things that maybe you hadn't considered before. Maybe he shed light on some aspects of this very, very familiar story uh, in a way that you had not seen before, and and I hope that 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 work of application is ongoing. Uh, So when Jesus started this story, uh, it's actually the last of three stories that he told in quick succession. And he was addressing uh, people that had gathered around him, the, the ones that were declared to be the sinners, the unclean, the impure, you know, the, the sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. And they were gathered around him and they wanted to be around Jesus because they saw in him and heard from him something they knew they needed that no one else gave them. So they gathered and they listened. But that didn't make everybody happy. That made the scribes and the Pharisees pretty upset pretty indignant, pretty jealous, pretty insecure, and pretty full of criticism and judgment. And so Jesus is really addressing both sets of people. He's addressing the, quote, sinners and the, quote, righteous by by their own standards. He's addressing those people in each of the stories he told, the story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and then the story we've been in now for three weeks, the story of the lost son. And the subtitle, as I already mentioned, uh, of this series is Who We Are and Who God Is. Because what I hope you've been able to do and what the goal has been is that we wouldn't see just a familiar story and characters that are vibrant and that come alive, although that's true and they do. The, the hope and the goal has been that we would see ourselves in this most familiar of stories. We talked about uh, the one that usually gets the name, the prodigal son. He is the first son in the story. Uh, He's the one that ran away and that abandoned his father and that gave an absolutely startling example and display of disrespect and irreverence by asking for his inheritance early. He said to his father, give me what's mine. Give me what's coming to me. Give me what's owed to me. My, my one-third of all of your resources, go ahead and give that to me now. And we talked about the fact that him saying that was saying to his father, I wish you were already dead, but since you're not, and it doesn't look like you're dying anytime soon, just go ahead and give me the money. Show me the money. That's all I care about. So we talked about him, and we covered, uh, I think, a lot of different ways and areas of life that we too, unfortunately, can so often be exactly like him, squandering, wasting, being prodigal with all the gifts we've received from our incredibly gracious prodigal father the grace that He's given us, the life that He's given us through Christ, at the cost of Christ's life. And the biggest takeaway as we, we tried to apply some things from this first son's example, the biggest takeaway was that every time we choose to live for self instead of God, 
Every time we choose sin instead of righteousness, we're squandering the life that cost the Son of God His life to give us. So who we are, we've seen that in the first son. We also have seen who God is in a very beautiful, beautiful picture of scandalous, striking grace and mercy from the Father in this story. He did not give the Son what the Son deserved to get when He gave that just unthinkable, disrespectful statement, give me what's mine, Father. Just go ahead and give me what's coming to me. He didn't give him what culturally would have been expected. Rather, he gave the money. He gave him the the inheritance early. And then he also gave incredible grace and love in receiving him back. No questions asked, no judgment, no criticism. When the son finally woke up, he repented, he returns to his father, he shows humility, he says, I know I'm not willing or worthy to be your son anymore, that's fine, I'm willing to just be one of your slaves. The father wouldn't hear it though. He held up his hand and he said, quick, bring the best robe. Quick, bring a ring, put it on his finger. Restore to him the honor and dignity of of my name, the, the family name. Put sandals on his feet and slay the fatted calf reserved for a guest of honor. Let's celebrate scandalous grace that anybody looking in would have said, well, that grace is wasted on this good-for-nothing son. And indeed it was. It was prodigal. It was wasteful. It was extravagant. But it was also good. And also needed. So we've seen a beautiful picture of our Heavenly Father, the perfect Father, and the Father in this story, represented here as Jesus is telling this story. And last but not least, we're going to talk about the other son, the one who is often not considered prodigal, not considered lost but is absolutely worthy and fitting and deserving of of those titles. He's just as much a prodigal as the first son. He's just as lost as the first son. And we're going to see that today. And again, though uncomfortable, I hope that you will see yourself as I have seen myself in this last, this second son that we talk about today. So Luke chapter 15 is still where we are, verses 25 through 32, that's where we're going to be. Luke 15, 25 through 32, and uh, let's just jump into this passage together. Verse 25, after the celebration has commenced, we read this, Jesus continues as he's wrapping up this story. Now his older son, the man had two sons, remember? Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Verse 28, Then he, the older brother, became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, 
who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Verse 31, Son, he said to him, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray briefly together. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for how alive it is. Truly, it is your living word. I thank you for how relevant and timely and applicable it always is. But Father, we need your help. We need your help to draw out the truths that you desire for us to. We need your help. We need spiritual eyes to see more than just words on a page, to hear more than something that's just familiar. And so thank you for the gift of your Spirit. Because not only is he the seal of our redemption, he is also the great illuminator. And so I pray, Father, that by your Spirit, he would illuminate for us your living word. And that he would empower me as I seek to draw attention to some very important aspects of this very familiar story. Help us with the application. May we be doers of the word we hear today and not just hearers. Thank you for the ministry of your spirit. Thank you for the power of your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this older brother comes on the scene. He's on display. Um, He's busy doing what he normally has been doing, working hard, working for the Father, doing what he's supposed to be doing. And he comes in and he hears all this noise. And he says, what is all this about? Man, he doesn't like what he heard, did he? (laughs) Not at all. You know, um, as often is the case, I had bouts of pouting uh, when I was younger, growing up. And my mom uh, used to, whenever I would have a particularly bad time of, of feeling sorry for myself or throwing the pity party, you know, and pouting and just being upset and everything was wrong, whenever I was particularly down in that way and showing myself, she would start singing a song uh, from the 60s. And the, the words were, um, it's my party, so I'll cry if I want to. Some of you know that song pretty well. Uh, Leslie Gore, 1963. Had to look that up. Didn't know that by heart. Um, So she would just start singing that. And quickly I realized what she was trying to say, you know, like, oh, poor you, you know, get over yourself. Um, and And I would love to tell you that I got that message, I got that lesson, I learned it, and I moved on, and I never, never threw myself a pity party ever again. But that would, of course, be a lie. You know, I mean, we, we just, we grown-ups, we can do it just as much as a child can. Don't you agree? That we can get all up in our feelings, we can get all self-absorbed, and when things don't go our way, or when people don't do for us what we want them to, or, you know, everything isn't exactly the way we think it should be or want it to be, We get down, we get upset, we gripe, we complain, and that song just kind of is is blaring over the loudspeakers of our heart, right? 
If, if life were a party, we would say, it's my party and I can cry if I want to, and I think I will. Well, that's certainly what the older son, kind of similar to what he was saying, he was saying here by his actions, it's not my party, so I'll cry if I want to. It should be my party, and if, since it's not, I'm going to cry about it. I'm going to be upset about it. I'm going to gripe and complain about it. I mean, in verses 28 through 30, he does exactly that. I mean, we, we just read it, but let me just draw your attention to it again. I mean, he, instead of saying, oh, he, he's back, really? My, my younger brother, who we thought was as good as dead, he's back? All right, good. It's about time. I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting with my father. That's how he should have reacted. No, that's not how he reacted, though, is it? Instead, he became angry. Um, literally, that's incensed. He was consumed with rage at what he is realizing was taking place. And he didn't want to go in. You know, it's just like, I'm not going in. Can't make me. And he's the older brother. <laughs> so um, it's significant that, that he's acting like, you know, the, the, the baby of the family would. He didn't want to go in. And his father, uh, another uh, just picture of, of grace and compassion and love, didn't have to do this, but he goes out to him. He shouldn't have to do that. He is the patriarch of the family. And in this culture, you didn't lower yourself at all. I mean, humility was a sign of weakness in this culture. But he goes out just like he had gone out daily to see if his younger son had, had come back yet or not. Now he goes out to this older son and he pleads another thing he shouldn't have to do another thing that would have been shocking to the audience hearing this story that jesus was telling he pleads with him begs him please son please come in and celebrate join in with with welcoming back your brother but instead he he says look and in, and really uh, what he was saying there is look you Look, you old man. That's really what he was saying. I have been slaving many years for you. I have never disobeyed your orders. I, I, I. I mean, he's, he's all about the I. He's all about draw, putting the attention on all that he's done, all that he's contributed, all that he's brought to the table. He says, but you, there's the blame you never gave me even a goat. So, you know, he's, he's saying, um, you've, you've slaughtered the fattened calf, the thing that's been reserved for the most honored guest that, is, that, could be, that could ever come through these doors. It's reserved for a person of nobility and honor. And yet, you've, you've slayed that for, for this rebel son. You didn't even give me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. This, this other child, he's devoured your assets, and my assets too, by the way. When you gave him your, the inheritance early, guess what? It affected me too. That's what he's saying here, because it did. He would have had to work even harder to make up the difference of the money lost to give the son the inheritance early. And so he's saying, your assets, which really are my assets too, he devoured all that with prostitutes, and yet look at what you did. You slaughtered the fattened calf for him. So he's all about 
focusing on himself and and all that he's done and yet all that he's not got you know received uh, all that he feels he's entitled to and all that he deserves so he goes from focusing on himself to blaming and pointing out the fact that the father is being reckless and wasteful with his grace and with welcoming back this son it's not my party so i'll cry if i want to but let's not be too careful, just like I said with the, the younger son. Let's not be too careful to dismiss him. Let's not be too careful, too quick to, um, you know, to judge him and to criticize him. Let's find out, let's ask ourselves what this older brother, this older prodigal, can teach us. Because he certainly can teach us some things. So what can the older brother teach us? Well, first of all... And maybe, most importantly of all, the older brother teaches us you don't have to go far away to be far from the Father. You don't have to go far away to be far from the Father. That's something that we we can read between the lines and, and glean from this text and what Jesus is sharing in this example, in this story. I mean, here's the son who, as the father said in response to all that complaining and that criticism in verse 31, I mean, he said to the son, you are always with me. I I know you've always been here. You have been reliable. I haven't missed that. You've always been with me, son, and and you always are. And, And by the way, just on the side, when he says son in response... Uh, really, in the Greek, he called him child. Child. Term of endearment, compassion, love, tenderness. Child. My, my child. He says, I, I know you're always with me. You always have been. But the question that we need to ask, and really is answered by the display of this older brother, this older son, is that even though he was physically with the father physically there and serving and working, his heart was absolutely not with the Father. This older son's heart was obviously full of himself, full of pride, full of arrogance, and he wasn't really with the Father in in terms of of being there and doing all that he was doing out of love for the Father, just wanting to, to honor his Father, loving his Father, just celebrating the fact that he has his Father in his life and, and, and all that, that he has because of his Father and just uh, realizing how good he has it and that he doesn't deserve, deserve anything and yet he has it. No, that's not at all what's in this older son's heart. It's all about working for Acknowledgement. It's all about um, doing what is expected so that the Father would be obligated to give him honor, which he never received and is very, very bitter about. So even though he was physically there, his heart was far from his Father. What God told Isaiah about the people of Judah described the older brother very well in this story. Isaiah 29.13 says this, This people... Draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. 
That's certainly what we see here with this older brother. He was there, but he wasn't really there. He was working for the Father so that he could get some things from the Father. It wasn't, I mean, obviously, you you can just tell, it wasn't out of love. It wasn't what he was doing and all of his hard work and his sacrifice and all of that. It wasn't from a place of love or gratitude or just to honor his father who was so worthy of honor. It wasn't that at all. And so he was going through the motions. He played the part. He looked right. He said the right things. But his heart obviously wasn't in it. And so an uncomfortable but a very important question that we all, all of us need to ask is this. Is that true of us? Is that true of us? Is that true of you? Is that true of me? Is it possible that that while we are not necessarily in some ways and in some categories and, and what some people would say that we are not far away from God, and yet, at the same time, we are far from Him as well. Is it, is it true of us, like this older son, that we draw near, and like Isaiah said of Judah, that we draw near with our mouth, and we honor the Father with our lips, and, and we look like we're worshiping Him really well, but our hearts, the inner person, in reality is far from Him like it was with this person in the story, like it was with the people of Judah, is that true of us? It's an uncomfortable but a very important question to ask. Self-reflection that needs to happen. And the reason I bring that up, and the reason I, I want us today to see ourselves well, even though it's uncomfortable and unpleasant, to see ourselves well in this older son, this older brother, and in the, the attitude of his heart that comes out now loud and clear. You know, it was concealed before, it was veiled before, but now it's out there. He's letting the Father and anybody else hearing know exactly how he feels. And the reason I say that is because church people, you know, the, the long time saved, of which I am one, you know, I mean, goodness gracious, I, I grew up in, in the definition of a Christian home for which I am so grateful. And, I mean, I'm a professional Christian. <laughs> Think about that. And so I'm not going to say anything in this next statement that is not true of me, okay, or that is not true of me as well. So when I'm talking to church people, I'm talking to myself as well. Church people, here's the thing. Our prodigal problem is it usually resembles the older brother a lot more than the younger one. Because think about what the older brother does. Think about what his problem is. It's self-righteousness. It's arrogance. It's legalism. He is serving the Father for what he can get from the Father. He's working for the Father to earn the Father's favor. He's doing the duty that the Father gave him so that the Father would be obligated to give him what he expects and what he feels he deserves to get. 
He is so focused on all that the son has done, the other son, his brother, has done wrong that he has deluded himself into thinking that he can't do anything but what is right. It's self-righteousness. It's focusing on his own uh, version and category of holiness. It's arrogance. It's criticism. It's judgment. This pharisaical, and remember, who is around Jesus and who he's telling especially this story to. Who is he addressing directly to make a very obvious point? The Pharisees, the scribes who were really upset that the tax collectors and sinners were gathered around Jesus and and liking him so much and being received so eagerly by Jesus. They just thought that was wrong and, and just horrible that the unclean and impure would be accepted by this one who claims to be a rabbi so he's directly addressing them and this this character in the story this older brother this pharisaical older prodigal son who would never see himself as prodigal by the way but was he has no trouble pointing out that he was right and everyone else including his father was wrong He also, obviously, we see here in the text, he felt like he was entitled, entitled to the Father's favor because of his own morality, his superior morality, and all of his good works. So, he thinks he's right and everyone else is wrong and he loves pointing that out. He's been waiting for this moment. I mean, don't you just see it like he's, you know... He's starting to, his shoulders are starting to move, and, and he's just, I've been waiting for this moment. Let me tell you something, Father. And he goes on this tirade of how he's right and everyone else is wrong. So that's the first thing. And then he also displays his entitlement because of his own morality and his good works. And, and let, me just, let me just point this out to you, church. Those, those two things pointing out the fact that everybody else is wrong and and you're right, and holding up your own morality and your good works and feeling like you're entitled because of that, you're owed because of that, those are the major characteristics of the older brother mindset. And it's that older brother mindset that sneaks into all of us. It sneaks into our heart and it takes up residence there. And it produces bitterness and cynicism and criticism and judgment after judgment. And we start to see ourselves as pretty good and looking pretty good because we're comparing ourselves to other people that we deem in our faulty, self-deluded morality as being less than us. And we quickly step into the role of another Pharisee Jesus talked about. The one that would go around and praying loudly, I thank thee, God, that I am not like one of these sinners. While the tax collector was over in the corner, huddled and beating his breast in another way, not in arrogance, but in in agony over his own sin. And he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
And instead of being that one, the one crying for mercy, realizing his need of it, when we creep into, when we allow the, the older brother mindset to creep into us, we start playing the role of that Pharisee who looks around and sees all these, quote, lesser examples. And then we find it easy for our prayer to be, thank you that I'm not like them. It's the older brother mindset. And it's so, so easy to have. It is so subtle, so tricky, so sneaky. And we've got to guard against it, church people. We've got to guard against it. The older brother in this story and all older brother types that follow his example forget some really, really important truths as they go along. And, it, and, this is, and I want to point this out because this is so, so often the case with us who have been saved a long time. And it doesn't take very long at all. I mean, you come to Christ and you realize your need of Him and you realize all that, that was lacking in your life and the fact that no one could do for you what you needed to have done. No one could make you right, and especially not yourself. So you come to Christ and you realize in Him is everything I need. And in Him, though I don't deserve it, I have unlimited grace and favor from God and eternal love. And wow! And so you, you grab onto that gift, but then you go along. And the farther you go along, the longer you go along, you start to get calloused. You start to have a a really short memory. And you forget that you, apart from Christ, are still a wretched, horrid sinner deserving nothing but hell. We forget. We forget where we came from and we forget where we would go right now like that if it weren't for Christ's constant keeping us in Him. So we forget some really important truths as we go along in our Christian walk. Let me give you some some really important truth reminders here that will counteract that older brother mindset. Isaiah 64.6. These are things that are always, always true. They never stop being true of the believer. Okay. They never stop defining us. Isaiah 64.6 tells us this. All of us, not just those people, not just some, all of us have become like something unclean. And all our righteous acts, all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. I won't tell you what that literally is saying because it's just too... Too bad, <laughs> too too rough, too um, uh, revolting, and so I would encourage you maybe do a little word study there on Isaiah sixty four six and do a little digging and see what in the original Hebrew that really is talking about there. But for now, let's just keep it with the English. All our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. All of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities carry us away like the wind. Ouch. Ooh. Painful but necessary. Good reminder. Matthew 5.3, Jesus said this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not the legalistic, 
superior morality, self-righteous person. No, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, he's saying, blessed are those who know they are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize their spiritual poverty and look to me to give them what they can't give themselves. That's what Matthew 5.3 is saying. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Titus 3.5, another great reminder for us. He, God, saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Important reminders, right? Certainly the older brother here was not thinking along these lines, and if he had ever thought along those lines, he certainly had forgotten Have you forgotten? Have I? It's easy. It's easy to forget. It's easy to not be focused on the fact that what we are and what we have as Christians, as God's children, it's not anything because of us. It's easy to forget. Well, not only can we learn from this older brother and see from his example something that we need to avoid and guard in our own lives? And and not only does he act as a mirror, an uncomfortable but a necessary mirror to our own heart, which he does, but Jesus also used this story, uh, as he did with the younger son, he used the father in this story as a great, great example and a great, beautiful picture And so, the same with this older son. Jesus used the father's conversation with the older brother here to prove two really important points. So, switching gears a little bit, but still keeping with what's going on in in the last part of this story, let's look at what the man with two sons teaches us. This father fictional father that is a picture of the real and the ultimate and perfect heavenly father. What the man with two two sons teaches us. First, he teaches us that, and this is so important, God has a heart for the Pharisee just as much as he does for the pagan. God has a heart for the Pharisee just as much as he does for the pagan. And just as important, equally as important, God wants the self-righteous to repent just as much as the unrighteous. God wants the self-righteous to repent just as much as the unrighteous. Both of those things that the, the man with two sons teaches us, it, it's so important. It's just as important for us to remember as I, I just said a few moments ago, it's important for us to remember that all that we have is not because of us, that, that if it weren't for Christ, we would be just as lost as any of the lost out there. This is just as important to remember. Um, because what we have a tendency to do, and it's an unhealthy and unfortunate tendency, but evangelicals, that's another part of church people, okay? Evangelicals, we have this really, really bad habit of focusing on all the sin that people need to be saved from, which is true, they do, 
But we forget to focus on all the self-righteousness and self-reliance that people need to be saved from. Because the gospel is salvation from both. We've got to get that right. The gospel, the genuine gospel, it covers the, the obvious and the prolific sin, you know, the sin that makes you go, <gasps> and it covers the, the, the deception, the mirage, the illusion of self-righteousness. Because there's really no such thing as self-righteous. There is none righteous, no, not one. No one seeks after God. That's the truth of Scripture. So there's no such thing as self-righteousness. It's a lie, just as much of a lie as living for self is. So God has a heart for the Pharisee to realize, I'm just as lost as the people I'm so focused on pointing out their lostness with. I'm just as lost as the lost sinner I'm so quick to label. He wants the Pharisee to see that. And he has a heart for them just as much as he does for the, quote, pagan. God wants all who are clinging to this this leaking life raft of self-righteousness, he wants them to repent just as much as the obvious unrighteous, the one who who does not try to hide their, their unrighteousness at all who wears it like a badge of honor. He wants both to repent. And here's why. Because they're really two sides of the same coin. It's the same sin issues at the core. Idolatry. Pride. Selfishness. It's all there. And we see it on display in these two sons. A man had two sons. Guess what? Uh, the, the, the title subtitle that could be. A man had two prodigal sons because both were wasting things. Both were, were totally missing the mark and the point. Both had the same sin issues at the core. Both were, were uh, guilty of idolatry. Both were guilty of pride. Both were guilty of selfishness. The younger son, already talked about him, but the younger son was looking for freedom and fulfillment in living for himself. And he was his own idol. And he was so prideful and arrogant about what he felt like he deserved. And then he was selfish with it. The younger son was looking for that freedom and fulfillment in living for himself. The older son was also looking for freedom and fulfillment, but he was looking for that in living for the law. He was living under the law and living for the law, thinking that if I just obey enough, if I do enough good, then I'll finally get what's coming to me. I'll get what's deserved. My father will have to give me the honor that I deserve. So his idol was self, and his idol was the law and morality and good works. And he was prideful in that, and he was selfish in that. See, two sides of the same coin. Both sons missed the fact that only their father provided true freedom and lasting fulfillment. And we so often miss that too, church people. We miss it. We look for freedom and fulfillment in so many other things, in each other, in coming to church, in keeping the law. Even though we were freed from the law by Christ, we go right back to it, we gravitate to it, and we bring that law back down on us, and we wear it like a warm blanket 
because we're used to it. And we, just like the, the, the real, quote, sinner, the real lost one, just like them, we can miss the fact that only in our Father will we find true freedom and lasting fulfillment. The younger son, younger son probably resented his father's restrictions and rebelled against them as one who grew up in not just a Christian home but a very conservative home. I can identify with that because to my shame, many, many times throughout my growing up years, I resented my own father's restrictions and and did very much rebel against them. But the older son obviously had resentment too and bitterness. The older son resented not feeling recognized by his father for his lack of rebellion. Don't, don't you see that? You see that on display there? I mean, he, he talks about it. He said, I've never disobeyed your orders. I've always been here doing what I'm supposed to. You're this son of yours. He goes off and he squanders the inheritance with prostitutes. What do I get out of this? So he resents not feeling recognized by his father for his lack of rebellion compared to his rebellious younger brother. But, but, even though it wasn't as obvious and it was a different type, he was just as rebellious as his brother. Both sons, both brothers were too self-focused to see the Father's love for them and to appreciate it and to say, that's all I need. Both wasted, there's the prodigal part again, because prodigal means wasteful, reckless. Both wasted their time with their father. And they missed out on the blessings he truly wanted them to have. The big difference, and really really the only difference, between these two sons, these two brothers, is that the younger son repented and returned, while the older son never did. And so his part in this story was a tragic ending, because Jesus didn't include any sort of repentance. And so in, this, in the world of this story, the older brother's son had a very tragic ending indeed. But thankfully, thankfully, that's not the way the real story ended. And because of that, because the real story didn't end that way, we, we, you and me, we really can live happily ever after. Because unlike in the parable of the prodigal, listen to this, just catch this. Our older brother, Jesus, laid aside his riches to make us rich. And He was condemned so that we could be redeemed. That's the real ending of the story. 2 Corinthians 8-9 tells us this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though He was rich for your sake, He became poor so that by His poverty you might become rich. Isaiah 53, 5-6 says of Jesus, He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of 
our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on Him, and we are healed by His wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord, the Father, has punished Him, the Son, our great older brother, for the iniquity of us all. Oh, church, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But Jesus plus anything equals nothing. We are who we are and what we are, and we are not what we used to be or what we could be, all because of the grace and the mercy, the the lavish, reckless, wasteful, wasteful, wasted on us. Although he doesn't see it that way, it, it really is grace, wasted grace on us by our great prodigal, prodigal God. It's all because of him, all because he just is so free and lavishing with with his grace toward us and all because of our older brother and what he did for us. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. And as we go into this week of Thanksgiving, though we have a lot to be thankful for, please, please, set aside space in your heart and set aside time in your week to be most thankful for that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being who you are. You are a very prodigal God. You have such incredible grace and mercy and love, and yet, really, when we look at ourselves as we truly are, we can't help but say that it's wasted, that your love is wasted on us, But I am so thankful that you're willing to do that. I'm so thankful that you are so, as it were, reckless with your salvation. Thank you for lavishing on us what we could never be worthy of. Thank you for welcoming us back when we realize our sin and we we wake up from it and we return to you and we truly repent. We find that you've been there the whole time waiting for us to return without criticism, without judgment. Rather, you say, quick, restore what sin damaged. Thank you that we're covered in the robe of righteousness that never wears out. Thank you for slaying much more than a fattened calf for us. Rather, you slay, you, you, you caused your only son, your perfect son, to be slain for us. Father, forgive us for when we are so much like the older brother. Forgive us for how we are so prone to being the Pharisee and to look at our own moral record. When compared to others, yeah, it looks pretty good. But when we realize, oh, the standard is you and your holiness and your righteousness, then we have nothing to hold up. Help us to remember that that any goodness on our part, any righteousness in us, it's not from us, it's from You. And help us to follow Your example 
And instead of being quick to judge, quick to rake others over the coals, to be quick to love, quick to show grace, quick to show mercy, even even to the point of being reckless and wasteful and extravagant with it, just like we have received. Thank you for showing us and reminding us of who we are and who you are through this incredible story. Help us to apply everything that you want us to apply from it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.